one of the things I love about a retreat, um, even particularly a retreat of this length, is to watch the transformation that happens each day with people. And it is so palpable, you know, not only as, you know, like Howie said last night, it's palpable here in the hall, you know, just in the way that, that people begin to settle and, and it gets so quiet in here. Um, if you can remember um, how it was the first, mm, the first day, <laughs> you know, a lot of people coming and going and, you know, restless and squirming and getting up and <laughs> sitting down and, you know, just a, a lot of restlessness in the room. And then just watching how that all just quiets down. It's just, you know, so quiet now. And it's so beautiful to see that happen. And it's an internal shift. It's, it's not just external. It's a, something's happening internal. And in speaking to you in the interviews over the last few days, um, each of us have seen half of you now, met with half of you. And so we've had an opportunity to hear your experiences. And, you know, particularly today, again, the settling that has happened for people and the opening um, no, I'm not, I've only spoken to half of you, so I don't know about the other half. But just generally this, you know, kind of like a really arriving here and opening more and more to, to your experience just as it is here. And the so, um, so lovely to see and some of the insight and understanding that begins to arise in that open space of mind and awareness. So it's very gratifying for me to be with you and, and to go through this with you um, and see the shifts that are happening. And, you know, you may not even feel it quite in the way that I'm describing, but I can assure you, I pretty, pretty much, much can assure you that um, by the time you actually leave here, you're going to notice. And, and I'll be surprised if you don't. You don't notice the shift that's happened. So um, one of the things that occurs in the, in the um, sort of the way this practice unfolds is the first couple of days people come in and experience a lot of what's called the hindrances in this tradition. And those of you who know, there's a classical list of five hindrances that we often, we, we experience when we're really mostly caught up more in our ordinary experience of the mind and emotions and feelings. And those, <clears throat> those experiences, they're often called difficult mental experiences, is what we, we um, experience when we first come into a retreat. All of us, no matter how much experience you've had on a retreat, usually we're dealing a bit with these hindrances. And they are, they are uh, how we spoke about some of this last night, the wanting mind, you know, the mind that wants different experiences than the one we're having. Um, <clears throat> the aversive mind, the, 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 the mind that doesn't want the experiences that you're having, and the rejecting mind. Those are the first two, right? The polar opposites, the wanting and the not wanting, or the, the, the kind of the greed, the lusting for experience, and then the, the opposite, the pushing away or aversive mind. And then there's the sleepiness and tiredness or sloth and torpor is what is called classically. And the opposite of that is the restlessness. So sloth and torpor, when, the, when we lose energy, 
the restlessness when there's too much energy. And so we experience a lot of that. And then the, the fifth one is doubt, a self-doubt, usually the self-doubt. We're really questioning and doubting ourselves and our capacity to do this practice. And uh, we can get involved with judging and uh, not really trusting the way things are unfolding or trusting the teachings, or trusting the, pra- the, the, the Dharma, or trusting the teachers. You know, you can get into a lot of doubt about all that. So this is classical. It's, it's written in the texts of the Buddha that, that these, are, these are what we experience before the mind starts to settle and before the mind starts to get more quiet. In Pali, the Pali word, the ancient uh, word in the, the teachings is uh, um, nivarana, Nivarana. And the, the way that that's translated is um, covered over. It's, it means it's something's covered over by these hindrances, by these difficult mind states. And I, I really like reflecting on that because it means that, that these, these states that we get caught up in that, that can feel challenging or difficult are actually covering over something that perhaps is more authentic in our being, in our experience. Something um, that we start to touch as the, the mind and the body start to settle down. One of the metaphors that I like to exemplify these five mind states is um, the, the uh, simile of the clear pond. And if you think of a clear pond that has some depth to it, if it's very clear and there's nothing hindering uh, in the water, you can see down to the depths of the pond. You see all the different layers and the clarity and sort of the vastness of the pond. But does, if, there, if we get caught up in the, the desire, the sense desire that how I was talking about, wanting pleasant experiences through the senses, it's like if someone poured colored dyes in that water and then we get entranced by the colors and the, and the dyes and we love all that uh, entertainment of the, of the, of the dyes and we, we actually can't see the, the, to the depth of the pond anymore. So it would be like that, so that, that mind state of the getting caught up in the a craving for sense desire. The opposite, the aversion, is as if the pond, um, there was kind of a, 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 another current of, of hot water coming in, and then the pond started to bubble from the, the heat, it, like you see some in the vo- volcanic ponds or the, where there's volcanic water coming in and, and the water's bubbling and, and it's all uh, kind of thick and you can't see, it's just sort of hot and bubbly and you can't see down to the depths. And that would be like the aversive mind, the mind that gets very contracted, doesn't want what's happening and it's kind of hot and, and thick in some ways. And that's, so that'd be like the, the aversive mind. Sleepiness. Sleepiness is like um, if the pond had algae <laughs> over the, through the surface of it, and you're just sort of thick with algae, and you can't really see, again, down to the depths of the pond. Um, the, the, the restlessness, when there's a lot of energy, it'd be like if there's a lot of wind sweeping along the surface of the pond, so you get a lot of ripples, rippling effect. And so again, you just it caught up in the wind and the energy of that, and you can't see down to the depths of the pond.
And the doubt is like, and I like this one, it's like if somebody took a stick and started to stir the bottom of the pond and all the mud starts to come up and then the whole, all the water just gets really thick and muddy and uh, kind of uh, cloudy and you can't see anything. It's just like (laughs) this thick with mud, the muddy water. And that'd be like the doubt. And these, and, and, and when those clear, when those different mind states start to settle and clear, what's there then is again the clarity of the, of the water, the cool, clear water where we can see down to the depths. And so in some ways that's the path or the process of meditation where we, as the concentration starts to build and the mind is able to stay more one-pointed and there's the openness of awareness and we're able to start to see the different things that are coming and going, there's the clarity and the openness in our experience and this starts to happen over time. And this is what's happened here. Even though some of you might still feel quite um, tired at times or restless at times, most people are reporting that that's happening less frequently, that you are having more moments uh, where you actually feel like you're here. And it's like your eyes are opened in a new way and seeing yourself, seeing internally, externally in ways that maybe you haven't before. And, And when people report that, there's just so much... Um, delight and happiness and it's like, ah, you know, relief. It's like, I've been waiting for this, you know. This is what I've been hoping for is to have this kind of settling and peacefulness in myself. The heart, the heart responds to that. It's like we're, we, we, this is what we long for in our human condition is to feel this sense of of inner peacefulness and quiet and open clarity. So it's such a joy. It comes with a a pleasant, a pleasant uh, um, valence, a pleasant tone, and we like it. Now we know what happens when we start liking something. (laughs) I like to say there's just a slippery slope to grasping and craving and attaching and wanting and demanding. And then we're kind of back in 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 the hindrance of the difficult mind state again. So then we come back into our, our letting go and allowing and accepting and opening. What we find sometimes, too, is that the, not, the, it's not necessarily that these mind states go away. I mean, they certainly settle down, and if you were here longer and your concent- concentration started to build, the hindrances can go away. They can go away for a period of time. But what we find is that really what starts to shift is that there's more of a quality of acceptance. There's more of a quality of allowing of allowing your experience to be as it is. So if you're sleepy, it's like, okay, <laughs> I'm sleepy. I'm, you know, trying not to give into it too much, but I, you're, not, you're not fighting it in the same way. You're not in conflict or, or making, having such strong expectations on yourself that that's occurring. So it's like there's a letting go. There's a letting go of that demand, of that control, of that expectation. And there's a softening. There's a softening around that. 
or there's a softening around the restlessness, or there's a softening around seeing the mind getting aversive or tight. It's almost like we can see this as layers, like the layering of the mind. The, the, outer, the outer layer starts to let go and soften so that perhaps we're not judging the judging or we're not aversive to the aversion or, you know, the layers. Or we could say the aversion to the aversion to the aversion <laughs> to the aversion. I mean, you can just start to see how those layers just start to build up. And we can work with the most outer layer of that judgment or that aversion in, as we come into more acceptance and more allowing of our experience to be as it is, even if we're restless or tired or wanting or doubtful. It's like, okay, just kind of relax a little bit more around it, let go. So we're not fighting, struggling in conflict with ourselves in the same way. This is the pathway. The pathway, we call it the pathway of letting go, the pathway of acceptance, coming more into uh, a connection with our experience just as it is without that sense of fight. So this acceptance and this allowing becomes, um, really becomes one of our uh, pathways that we can cultivate that we can encourage because we know that this is really going to help us to let go. And in the letting go, things start to soften and open up. As we come into more acceptance and more allowing, then it's possible to see more of what Howie was speaking about last night and James the night before, where we start to see a little bit more of the impermanent nature of our experience and all experience, that there is more of a flow of experience. When we see the mind, when we're aware of the mind in contact with the mind, we might see more of the arising and passing of the thoughts and the images and the mind states that they're not so solid. They're not so, uh, they're not so substantial as they may have seemed before we were so aware. And so it starts to break up that sense of solidity, that sense of permanence that the mind is like this. But we see more that there's a flow of phenomena, there's a flow of conditions in the mind. We could see in the body, when we start to bring our attention to sensations in the body, that there, it's not, the body maybe isn't so solid as we imagine it to be. We can see that there's sensations that are arising and passing of aching and vibration and lightness and density and and pain and pleasure and all this whole range of experience through the body, let alone the sensual experiences of seeing and hearing and tasting and smelling and touching and feeling that all of this is just is changing constantly through the, the day, through every hour, every minute. And we can feel more of the flow, the flow. We're not holding on quite as tightly when we think these experiences are so solid and this is me and this is who I am. And we make all the, the meaning out of it and build a whole sense of identity around our experience. 
So as we, we, we come more into contact directly with the way things are, things start to break up. It's not quite the way we imagined things to be. And then there's the, we see the flow of the mind, the flow of the body, and we become uh, aware of the consciousness or the awareness that knows all of that. There's the, we're conscious, we're awake, we're aware that there's uh, the mind coming and going, the body sensations are coming and going. So we have the mind, we have the body, and we have consciousness. This is what we are. This is what we are. We're not anything else than that. We have a mind, we have a body, and we have consciousness that can know, that can be in, in contact with, that, that also arises and passes with experience. So this is, we start to have more of a sense of, oh, I am not so solid. Who I am isn't so fixed. I can't necessarily just say, I am this way or I am that way. Things just start to open up and we become more of the flow. I become more of the flow. It's not like the things are flowing out there and I'm solid over here. It's like, I too am in the flow. All things start appearing in this way. It starts to take on a very, very different perception, a very different kind of experience. This is the insight, insight into anicca, this word anicca or impermanence that we've been speaking about. And this is we, it's not necessarily an intellectual understanding, but we start to have this direct experience where we see that things are not as solid. We would like to uh, proclaim that, but our awareness tells us otherwise. Where are those two days that you were here and all the struggles and the difficulties and experiences that you've had? Where is that right now? You know, all of those thoughts and feelings and sensations, the lunches, the reactions, the, the sleepless nights, the, <laughs> the med- it's all gone. <laughs> it's not here anymore. And as Jack Cornfield used to say, it's back there with Alexander the Great, <laughs> you know? It's not like it's there, it's, you know, just there waiting for us over here. It's gone. <laughs> it's history, baby. <laughs> You know? So here we are. Here we are in this experience of the flow. This teaching, this insight points to what the the Buddha calls um, wise view. It's actually the first factor on the Eightfold Noble Path, where we start to see things clearly. And he says that wrong view is to take what is impermanent as permanent, to take what is impermanent as permanent. This is wrong view. So right view or wise view is to see that what, is imper- what appears as permanent is actually impermanent. Whether it's the mind, whether it's the body, whether it's trees, whether it's you, whether it's this building, what, whatever it is that we start to take as permanent, we see that it 
isn't actually that way. And we settle more deeply into that truth. What happens is that we have this habit of mind to fix things, to, to fixate things, and to, to grasp them, to hold them, to make things into things, and then create some kind of separation between ourselves and those other things. We call this the fixating mind, where thing, we make things or things start to appear to us as if they're solid. And we do this with our views and our opinions and our beliefs and our ideas and our expectations and our sense of who we are and who you are and our life and our situation. We can start to see how more and more as we, we look carefully at this mind, the nature of our mind and our perceptions, and maybe things aren't so permanent, Maybe that those views and those opinions and those ideas that we have about things that we call our worldview, maybe that starts to break up as well. We start to have some understanding of this way or this habit that the mind fixates or attaches on to what it believes to be the reality of things. And, you know, sometimes it's, that is the way it is, no matter what, you know. But then we start to see things are actually a lot different than we thought they were. This, um, remember Pooh and Piglet? Maybe some of you still um, read those stories to your children or family. And somebody gave this little short story to me where, um, it's from the Hundred Acre Wood. And um, Pooh is walking with Piglet. And um, Piglet, you know, who is always a little bit fearful of everything and imagining, you know, that the, everything, the world was going to fall apart. He says, they're walking along in the woods and, and he says to Pooh, supposing a tree fell down, Pooh, when we were underneath it. And, and Pooh said, well, supposing it didn't. And after careful thought, Piglet was comforted by this. (laughs) I like that. After careful thought, (laughs) he was comforted by this. Supposing it didn't. You know, the mind says one thing, but actually maybe the reality is otherwise. One of my favorite little stories that I heard early on in my meditation practice was about this um, uh, ancient uh, caveman who every day would go into a cave and he would, uh, it was an artist, and he would go in the cave and he would paint these paintings. And they were very exquisite and very real. And one day he was painting a, a painting of a tiger on the wall. And as he was getting finished with the painting, he just took stood back and was looking at the painting and then he went, oh my God, there's a tiger! And he ran out of the cave. And I love that so much because that's what we're doing. (laughs) We paint pictures of tigers on the wall of our mind, on the wall of our consciousness, and then we run for fear, fear of our life, that something's going to happen. 
And it's not to say that there isn't danger. You know, that's why we say, may I be safe and protected from danger, because there is danger in this world, as we know. We have to be wise and we have to be careful. But if we are lost in our imaginations and we are believing everything that our mind tells us, then we're not going to be very connected to reality to be able to respond to a danger or respond to something that actually needs our careful attention, our wise attention. So we want to start to see, we want to start to see the way that this fixation happens within our own mind. One time um, I was uh, in, in Switzerland, I, I was teaching for some years with a man named Fred von Allman, who was Swiss. Uh, we were teaching in India together. And um, I went to visit him in Bern with him and his wife, Ursula. And they took me downtown to, um, uh, in Bern. Uh, and if, if you've been in Europe, you know that they've got amazing uh, architecture and old churches and clocks and all of that. So downtown in Bern, there's a very old clock that is on uh, in a clock t- tower in, in the, the main part of in the center of town. It's very big, um, uh, probably as big as this wall. And um, the, the clock is, is built in such a way that all the gears that run this clock are all hand-carved in wood. And it's set up in such a way that they're all interconnected and... It, all it needed was a, like a push and then it just runs constantly because of the way all these gears are connected to each other and it doesn't require any electricity. And um, every now, when, they, when it's noon or one o'clock or two o'clock, one of the little doors open and a little man comes or a puppet comes out or a little, somebody blows a little horn, you know, and it's just all very animated and very alive. But it's all just happening on its own because of the way that it was, was created, the way it was made. There's no, no nothing's, it's, it's perfectly in harmony with itself. And when I was looking at this clock, I understood that if a bird came and dropped a stone or a twig in one of the grooves, the whole thing would jam because it's dependent on all of those conditions being just as they are to keep the whole flow of the clock going. But one little drop of something like solid there jams it up. And I thought, that's just like our minds. Just one moment where there's some fixation or some idea that this is the way it is, you know, the the grasping in the mind, it's like it jams the whole thing up. And we need to release that, that, stone or that twig or that thing that we've dropped in this perfect flow, the perfect harmony of things, so that it gets going again. (laughs) And it gets going without any intervention. It is a perfect harmony. There is a perfect law of nature that keeps the whole thing going, which is what the Dharma is. The Dharma is translated as law or 
harmony or order or, you know, the way things are. And, I, and I, when I think of um, fixating mind, I, all, I think of that clock. Because it's just like, yeah, drop that, <laughs> drop that wrong view in and the whole thing jams up. So, the, so Dharma practice really is a way of unhindering or kind of releasing the, the, the delusion of our wrong view so everything starts to flow again. <laughs> and everything flows in perfect order. Even though our mind, our rational mind, or our ordinary mind say, this doesn't seem perfect. <laughs> but again, that's another way that we may assert our view on top of a reality that is so much more mysterious and so much more vast than this little rational mind can even begin to make sense out of. (laughs) This is all so much bigger. It's so much vaster. And then we try, you know, this, this, our, with our brain and our mental, we try to say, well, yeah, I know how things are, or I get it, you know, I understand it. And again and again, something, something shows us that there's more. There's more to understand. There's more we need to discover. There's more that needs to be revealed about the nature of this existence and the nature of this reality that we find ourselves in. It's huge, it's vast, expansive mystery that we are part of. John O'Donohue, this wonderful poet who had an unfortunate ending to his life, he just says, One time he said, I would love to live like a river flows, carried by the surprise of its own unfolding. I would love to live like a river flows, carried by the surprise of its own unfolding. Just like that, and we can feel and we can sense that kind of where we, how we'd like to touch that quality of flow like a river, just feeling that within our own experience, our own mind, our body, our heart, where we're not so uh, hindered, we're not so caught up by our attachments and our expectations and our demands and our views and our opinions about the way things are, and to let go, just to let go into something that is so much greater then perhaps we can understand. So opening, this is what we've been doing here. Opening, letting go, seeing if we can see things a little bit more clearly, see the way things actually are. And it takes a little time. It takes a little time to settle. It takes a little time to arrive here. It takes a little time to get comfortable within these Uh, conditions within these surroundings, feel a sense of the safety that's here. We begin to relax a little bit more, open up to, to what's here. 
And as we do that, we, people, people report how there can be a, a way of, of connecting with the different things here, different experiences here in a, in a fresh way, in a new way. We're just looking at a, a flower or looking at the turkeys, <laughs> right? These turkeys that, that walk around here or the lizards or, you know, feeling the sun, just the f- sun on the skin, the warmth of the sun or the, the, the breeze or the see the stars at night. And somebody said to me today, you know, I just haven't really felt the sun for a while or recognized that the sun, you know, the sun had a certain quality to it, you know, to actually stop there, stop for a little while and, and take it in where the mind isn't imposing in the same way, where the chatter isn't so strong and it begins to release. And we're just, we're just here without our views and our opinions and our demands and all the, the sense of responsibility and all of that, that current that often carries us away, this current of the mind, really, the current of, the, of, our, of our hopes and our fears, and this, uh, call it the ordinary mind, the ordinary mind. And that begins to open and that begins to release. And we just have these different experiences where we may smell, somebody was telling me, but they, they could smell the trees, you know, and like particularly in the morning when there's some mist or fog, uh, the fog, is in, that there's a certain moisture that releases the scent in the bay trees. And this whole, you could smell the, the bay and you can smell the, the weeds. There's a kind of a stink, a stink weed as well that there's, there's quite, quite a lot of that around here. And it's like, oh, the smell, you know, the seeing, the, the, the hearing the sounds, hearing the sounds of the cr- crickets, you know, feeling the sensations in the body. And something, something starts to come alive for us. It's like a, another layer of reality, another dimension of reality. We're starting to enter in, enter into that, almost like going through a door or going through a portal where we, we enter in to perhaps another uh, dimension of consciousness, another dimension of the mind. And sometimes the words just drop away or the, the mind just drops away and, and, and there aren't even any words. Sometimes when people come into interviews and they're talking about their meditative experiences, when, when the, they, they've become very quiet and very still, just even if it doesn't last for very long, they say, it's hard to talk about. You can't, can't put words on it and can't really put words on it because already the words don't touch the experience. The, it's too much. The, the words are, it's almost like they're, <laughs> the words don't have anything to do with the experience because the experience is so much bigger than any way that this mind can begin to describe our experience. It feels very soft and tender and um, quiet. And what gets quiet is our mind isn't imposing in the same way. We're not fixated on certain kinds of ideas or uh, uh, views about what's actually happened. Actually, this is where poetry comes in. As poetry, sometimes when we're not able to find words to describe these experiences, 
poems come. <laughs> People write poems <laughs> or, you know, poetry to begin to try to touch some of the, the ineffable, uh, the ineffable of, of our life. There's, there's one poem that I'd like to share with you from Mary Oliver. And she's kind of our guru, really, because she always seems to get it right. <laughs> And she wrote this poem called The World. She says, I would like to write a poem about the world that has in it nothing fancy, but it seems impossible. Whatever the subject, the morning sun glimmers it. The tulip feels the heat and flaps its petals open and becomes a star. The ants bore into the peony bud and there is a dark pinprick well of sweetness. As for the stones on the beach, forget it. Each one could be set in gold. So I tried with my eyes shut, but of course the birds were singing and the aspen trees were shaking the sweetest music out of their leaves. And that was followed by, guess what? A momentous and beautiful silence as comes to all of us in little earfuls if we're not too hurried to hear it. As for spiders, how the dew hangs in their webs even if they say nothing or seem to say nothing. So fancy is, so fancy is this world. Who knows, maybe the spiders sing. So fancy is the world. Who knows, maybe the stars sing too and the ants and the peonies and the warm stones, so happy to be where they are on the beach instead of being locked up in gold. We don't want to be locked up. Everything's expressing its nature, moment to moment to moment. And sometimes it's not so beautiful. The mind is moving and the mind is expressing itself in all of its different ways. Sometimes it's actually completely the opposite. And there's a lot of fear and there's anger, there's worry and there's concern. And that's also coming. That's also expressing its nature. And we have to, we we learn through the practice, how not to be afraid of that. How not to be afraid of what the mind is expressing, the way the mind is expressing itself, the way the con- our conditioned personality is showing itself. Learning how to be balanced and grounded and settled and breathing with, as we were speaking this morning, speaking with even the difficulties even the challenges that we find in ourselves, how to be present with that so that we don't run away. Tigers, I, got, I can't be in here, run away. But learning how to be present with all of that. Maybe you've heard the quote from Annie Lamont who said, my mind is like a bad neighborhood, I try not to go there alone. Maybe we shouldn't go there alone. <laughs> you know, maybe we, we gather all of our resources and all of our supports to walk in 
so that we can more and more be present with all that's here for us. So getting more and more of a sense of this being present for without the mind imposing in the same way, without, the, without getting caught up in all of these different uh, fixations of the mind and seeing if we can settle more, relax more, ground more, open, open to what's here in all of its different formations. It's really what our practice is asking of us. I, I want to tell you about a, a situation that happened um, a, a couple months ago when I was in New Zealand. Uh, I, I'm connected with uh, Sangha there, and I go, I've been going there for about 20 years. And um, while I was there, um, it was, I was just finishing up m- uh, my days in Wellington, which is uh, one of the towns in the south of the, of the North Island, and I was going to be flying to Christchurch, uh, where there's also a sangha, and doing some teaching there. And just the day before, uh, t- t- day before I was leaving, my my host, the woman woman that I was staying with, uh, she was supposed to be coming to pick me up um, to go to a, a a women's group that, that we were doing in the evening, and and she wasn't there. And I called her and I said, you know, where are you? Because we need to go. And there was kind of a silence on the other end of the phone. And she had just received the news that her father died. And she was uh, obviously very, very shaken. It was a, he had a heart attack. And he, um, was, he, had a, he had a very good life. He was in his late 70s, but it was still, you know, completely uh, unexpected. She was really shocked and um, um, in, in, in shock. And so she had her friends with her, and her friends brought her home, and I went to the group, and then I, I came back and spent some time with her. And it was, you know, I felt so happy that I could be with her and sit with her while she was going through this very, very difficult, very difficult time. She was very close to her father, spoke to him every week, had a, a very close relationship with him, and um, uh, was a very important part of her journey was to have him uh, walking with her on this path. And so um, it turned out that um, I, he lived in Christchurch, and the memorial was going to be in Christchurch about five days later. And I was going there so I would have the opportunity to go to the memorial with her family and for her father. And I was so pleased that I was going to be able to do that and be with her family and support them. And so when I, when I got there, um, um, my host who was, was looking after me there was very happy to drive me. It was about an hour drive to the memorial. And um, we went there and her father was a uh, local politician so he was very well known and very loved. And we went to this place where the memorial was, and there were s- about 700 people there. And it was, it was really an amazing experience to walk in. My friends were there and her family, and they, all of this came together in five days. And, and to walk into this environment where people's defenses were down... Their, sort of the masks were off their face. There was open-hearted love 
and connection and community and care and respect and to walk into that with so many people, 700 people who it was so palpable to be in this environment where it was essentially a sea of love. It was just a sea of love and respect and celebration, really. Celebration for this man's life and all that he had given to the community and his dedication and his, his, uh, the, action, the different uh, political actions that he was involved in and brought about change in the community. And, and it, was, it was, there was like no mind in the room. It was like all heart. It was just heart. And it was, it was so palpable that I was, I was really kind of blown away by it. I, I hadn't been in that kind of experience before. When, and these aren't people who necessarily are practicing Dharma. It wasn't a meditation community. You know, it wasn't people who have all these kind of you know, brilliant philosophical understandings about life. You know, just people, good people coming together to celebrate a man's life with their family and not having the usual defenses of, that we carry with us through the day. And I was so moved by that and so touched by that. And to me, it was such an example, it was such a symbol of what happens when we truly let go when we can just put aside our differences, and I'm sure there were, you know, things that happened in that community that weren't always just, you know, really fun and great and, you know, celebration, but just putting it aside, putting it aside, walking in, opening the heart, connecting with care and love and gratitude. I was just so very, very moved by that joining together, that coming together. And I think that, you know, we're not talking about something so extraordinary. We're not talking about something here that's so esoteric or philosophical or, you know. We're really talking about the, the goodness within our own being, the goodness within our own heart, the, 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 the intelligent wisdom that we all are and that we all manifest And as we begin to soften, as we begin to let go, as we begin to settle and open, what naturally begins to happen is that we feel more connected. We feel more here. We feel more present. We feel more um, uh, interested in finding out about others and about the truth of things and joining together and helping each other and supporting each other. It's just, it's a natural kind of expression of our being, of our heart, as we let go, as we open. And sometimes I, I, I like to talk about or, or point out sort of the ordinariness of what we're doing here. Because it isn't necessary, you know, we can have like lots of intellectual conversations about it and how I liked how we read the Ajahn Sumedho or talked about Ajahn Sumedho who was saying, you know, I don't want to go to, 
you know, big Buddhist conferences, you know, I actually part of that was, I just want to be an earthworm. That's basically what he said, just, I just want to be an earthworm, you know. And it's just like that. It's just like, yeah, we just let go into the natural goodness that we are, that we already are, that's already here, settling into the flow, into the flow of experience, in this natural order, in this intelligent order, in this perfection, this perfection, even with the imperfection, there's perfection in the imperfection of all things, and opening more and more to the way things truly are. This is, this is my wish for all of us here. So I'm going to end there tonight. So let's just sit together for a little bit. May all beings open to the natural goodness and love within their own heart. Thank you. Now time for some walking and... Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.